Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. How many of you know somebody in the Mormon church or a baby have Mormon missionaries come to your door? Raise your hands. Quite a few, right? Do you know what to say to them? That's, that's what's tough often. You know, I, um, we got a privilege of witnessing to Mormons, and we've been doing this for 20 years or so forth. It's, it's been really a blessing. But the one thing that I want to just stress with you this morning before we get into our message is that take the opportunity when the Lord places an a LDS person, a, a Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint person into your path, take the opportunity to just tell them a simple message that salvation is free. Now, they do have a different definition for salvation. I was talking with somebody just before church, and he was telling me that, you know, he has a Mormon, somebody who was raised in the Mormon church, but now has fallen away and is an agnostic. And that's really, really common. When people leave the Mormon church, many of them do not become anything else. They give up on God. And why do you think that is? I think there's many reasons for that, but I think one reason is because when we come across a Mormon, when a Mormon missionary comes to our door, you know, think to yourself, how do you usually respond? I've asked this question to many, many Christians around the country, and usually it's pretty much the same. Uh, if, if they answer the door, they will hopefully be polite, but they say, I have my own religion, I'm not interested or anything, and they close the door. Mormon missionaries are out for two years. I've asked many, I have, I've asked hundreds of Mormon missionaries, on your two-year mission, how many times did a Christian try to witness to you? Guess what the average is? Anybody, take a guess. Two, once a year. And then we wonder when they leave the Mormon church why they're not interested in Christianity. Because by far the greatest reaction they have from Christians is not a pleasant one. So I guess what I would just like to emphasize to you is to take the opportunity to confidently and joyfully tell them that you are forgiven in Christ. I, late, later on, I'm going to put a little quote on what they teach about forgiveness. But before I get into my message, I just want to give you one comparison between Christianity and Mormonism. One of the basic passages of Christianity is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace we are saved through faith. It's a gift of God, right? Not a works. What a wonderful message that is. Not a work. So that we, you know, no, no one can boast in everything. Here is a common Book of Mormon, the most popular Book of Mormon passage there is. Second Nephi. By grace are you saved after all you can do. Just think about that. If you were a sincere Mormon, where would you put your emphasis? It would be on those last four words. After all you could do. How many of us could go to bed at night and say, you know, today I did absolutely everything I could do. How many of us could do that? I can't do that. And if you could do that one night, could you do that the next night? And the next night? And the next night? We're trying to reach out to Mormons because they are being crushed by a heavy burden of guilt. 
They might not appear that they are, but many, many Mormons are just being crushed by guilt because they really do not have the message of the Savior, the message that we enjoy. Just one final thing about Mormonism. Somebody says, as if you talk to any Mormon, they will talk about Jesus as their Savior. This is a parable they teach to illustrate what they mean by Jesus as a Savior. This is their parable. Heavenly Father, God, was the creditor. We were the debtors. We took this great debt out from Heavenly Father. Over a period of time, we, we realized we couldn't pay him back. We thought we could, but we couldn't pay him back. So we go to Heavenly Father, and we say, have mercy on me. And he says, I would like to be merciful by God and be just. And then Jesus steps in. Jesus is a benefactor. Jesus steps in and tells Heavenly Father, if I forgive them all, if, if I pay for all their sins, will you free them from their obligation? If I pay their entire debt, will you free them from their obligation? Heavenly Father agrees. Jesus pays our entire debt. And then Jesus turns to us and says, now I'm your creditor. You have to pay me back. It won't be easy, but I made it possible. That's how they see Jesus as a savior. As someone who took the loan, refinanced it, spread out the payments. And for them, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But how does that pale? Pale in comparison to what the Bible tells us. Today I want to talk about worship. Mormons really have a hard time with worship. Our ministry, we do a lot on the internet. Um, We blog, websites, and all that. Just last week, here's what one Mormon man wrote to us on our blog. He said, when I stand before God, I do not want to be covered with Christ's righteousness. I want to be covered with my own righteousness. I don't want Christ's righteousness. With that type of attitude, it's very, very difficult for them to worship. What did God do for them, really? They're approaching God more as an equal, as another Mormon told us. They don't have a concept of worship. The concept of growing together, of community. And it's not just Mormons, is it? You know, how many of us haven't heard statements like, you know, I don't have to go to church to worship God. I can worship God by myself, or I can grow in my own faith. You know, that's a dangerous statement. But like many dangerous statements, sometimes it's true. I do know Christians who are growing in their faith, who are worshiping God without coming to church. I'm thinking of some elderly Christians who can't make it anymore. 
But you know what? They are never the ones who say, you know what? I don't have to go to church in order to worship. Rather, they have this yearning to be there. They feel terrible. They just want to be there. Though the people who say, you know, I don't have to go to church usually are physically able to. And there's a whole lot of reasons. You know, maybe times I think about those reasons. I don't have to go to church, you know. I remember at the seminary, one of our profs said, you know, some of you guys are going to be pastors because that's the only way we're going to get you into church. And he looked right at me. I didn't understand that one. But, you know, sometimes you wonder. You know, I, what, what are the reasons why people don't go? I think one of the big reasons out there is people got burned. They got burned by another church and they said, I don't want to go. You know, another reason might be they just never had the opportunity. They don't know the experience. Still others, I don't know up in Idaho, I hear this a lot. I'm sure you hear it down here too. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You know, I'm spiritual, but I don't want to have anything to do with organized religion. Could be just priorities. You know, it really doesn't matter. Why people are not assembling together, it really doesn't matter the reason. Because the effect is still the same. The effect is that they won't be growing in their faith. It is a myth. It is a myth that we can grow in our faith in a private and personal way. That's why God commands us to assemble ourselves together. That's a passage, you know, it's on your sheet, the one we're going to be looking at, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. There God commands us, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. This morning, I want you to think of coming to church like coming to a health club. But this is a full-service health club. It's a health club that just does not have a whole lot of exercise equipment. But it's also a health club that has a restaurant that serves health food. Because like physical health, spiritual health is the same thing. You know, there's two parts to growing spiritually. You know, it's having eating correctly, the proper diet, and then exercising regularly. You know, those are really the two parts. That's why I want you to think about church as a health club. This morning, let's think about eating first. Now, when we're feeding our physical bodies, we can go home, we can prepare nutritious meals And we can do that all by ourselves with no help. But in our day and age, in our busy uh, lifestyles, it would really be helpful at times to have a restaurant close by. If we were serious about eating healthy, a restaurant close by where we could stop in and maybe get that healthy meal that we didn't have time to to, uh, prepare for ourselves. Especially if that restaurant had, had classes on how to prepare meals. What holds for us physically really holds spiritually. 
We need to feed our faith. And we have to eat the right thing. Over the years, I've asked many, many people who are not going to church to ask them, how's your relationship with the Lord? You know, a surprising number have told me they feel that they have a good relationship with God. And as we talk about it, as we discuss it, one of the questions I ask is, and why do you think? What's, what's your reasons for having a good relationship with the Lord? And almost always people who say that, maybe you know the answer already. They will say, because I pray every day. But that's not how we feed our faith. You know, faith grows. It doesn't grow through prayer. It grows through the word. Prayer is exercising our faith. Prayer is talking to God. The word is where God talks to us and feeds our faith. You know, Paul, writing to the Romans. In Romans chapter 10, he had a series of questions. He says, in Romans chapter 10, you know, how can they... How can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in one they have not heard? The answer is, is they can't. And then what does he say? The passage is on your sheet. Faith comes by hearing the message. Faith comes by hearing the message. We are brought to faith. We are growing our faith through the word. St. Paul, earlier in the book of Romans... Talked about the gospel. He says, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And maybe Pastor Gung have told you this before, you've heard this before. The Greek word there for power is where we get our word dynamite from. The gospel, that wonderful message that Jesus died for our sins. That's the dynamite. God's dynamite. That brings people to faith. Whenever I'm witnessing to somebody in my mind, I'm picturing laying a charge of dynamite at their stony heart of unbelief and just saying, Holy Spirit, light the light, you know, light the fuse. It might be now, it might be later, but that dynamite. But this morning, there's another word that we get from that Greek word. It's not just dynamite, it's dynamo. A dynamo is a generator that gives ongoing power. God's word is something that just does not bring us to faith. It's our generator in our life. The thing that keeps us going, the thing that energizes us. We need to be in the word, and you know what? I think one of the hardest things to do is being in the word by myself. Isolated. If you look at people who are regularly in the word... Almost always they are regularly in church assembling together. The devil. You know, the devil is, is, is smart. No, we think of the devil and we think of how he tries to tempt us and all these blatant attacks at sin. And he does that. He tries sometimes to tempt us into blatant sin. But those are really diversions. What the devil really wants to do, where he's concentrating his power, is cutting our supply line. For he knows once our supply line is cut, we're going to be easy easy pickings. The supply line is our connection to God's word. And when that is cut, when we start straggling, 
When we wander away from the flock, that roaring lion, the devil, he's just licking his jowls. He's just happy. He sees dinner. God commands us to assemble together because we need it so much. You know, God has provided, provided us with nutritious food. Oh, tremendous food. He has provided us with a, a wonderful community of believers, a wonderful place to eat. He also, also has provided us with chefs, with cooks. You know, on the bottom of your page, that passage, Ephesians 4, talking about Jesus as he ascended into heaven. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. So what? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, to become mature. One of the things I really enjoy is teaching Bible. But what I really enjoy is because wherever I'm doing that, we get into good discussions, I always learn something from other people. How many times haven't you come to church? And there was either a topic or a Bible passage that you might never have run across in your own readings. Oh, look at that. That's great. Or maybe a new explanation to a passage. What a benefit it is that God has given us spiritual leaders in order to prepare that food for our spiritual growth. Friends, we need to eat. And really the point I really want to hit, the first point I really want to hit is eat proactively. You say, what does that mean? I heard somebody go... Yeah, eat proactively. What I mean by that, if you're anything like the dear saints in Idaho, a lot of times they come rushing in on Sunday morning at the last minute, haven't got got any thought to what was going on, you know, wondering what maybe... Uh, the services. We have a hard time getting people there and sitting, you know, even five or ten minutes after we start. Um, what I mean by eat proactively is start Saturday night. Get a good night's sleep. <laughs> Pray. Pray on Saturday night that the Lord will bless your me- the message that day, pray for your pastor, pray for your worship team. As you drive to church, instead of talking about what we're going to do the rest of the day, maybe talk about the privilege of worship. If you know what the, the, the sermon is going to be about, the message is going to be about, you know, talk about that, think about that. Do anything you can to prepare to hear. 
That's why I mean by eat proactively. Don't just come and hear and start thinking about that the moment you're here. Plan how you're going to listen. Pray how you're going to listen. Be ready to listen. But back to that health club. Remember I pictured church as a health club? I've been talking about the eating side, but really what you do at the health club mainly is to exercise, isn't it? And if you look again at our passage, the whole point of this passage, and really the emphasis of this passage, is exercising our faith, doing things. Let me look at it again. Look at what it says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The whole idea is that we are to spur each other on. We are to encourage each other. One of the exercises that we are to do here is not so much do something for other people, but to encourage them to do good works. To spur them on, it says. Spur is a strong word. I grew up around Detroit. Not a whole lot of cowboys in Detroit. Not riding a whole lot of horses. I'm in Idaho now for a long time, so I, I know a little bit. And one of the things that really surprised me is that spur, spurs, and when a horse is spurred, it's a pleasant sensation for a horse if you do it right. A spur doesn't have these, all these points. A spur, as you look up there, see that wheel? Those are blunt. And when you run those across the horse, it stimulates their muscles. In fact, the Greek word here, spur, can be translated as stimulate. It stimulates the muscles. It spurs the horse on, not in a painful way, but in a very pleasant way. When we spur each other on, when we encourage each other, We are to do that in a very pleasant way. And one of the best ways we can do that is with the right motivation. Why are we trying to do good works? We are trying to do good works out of gratitude, out of thankfulness for what the Lord has done for us. You know, our passage today is from the 10th chapter of Hebrews. For nine and a half chapters before this, The writer to the Hebrews was talking about Jesus, this great high priest, who has done everything for us. In the earlier in chapter 10, we see that it says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus, our high priest, did not just sacrifice something. He was the sacrifice. And as a result of that, in God's sight, we are saints. God sees you and me as saints in Christ. We are holy. Nine and a half chapters, a writer was establishing this fact that Jesus, our high priest, did everything for us. Then a few verses before our text, he says, therefore, brothers, that word therefore, you know, as a result of this, After I said all this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most high place by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have confidence. 
to enter the most high place, the holy of holies. Where in the Old Testament, the, old, the high priest could only go in once a year. He probably went in quite fearful because if they went in wrong, he would die. But we can walk into the Holy of Holies confidently through the blood of Jesus Christ. When we see, when we point out to others who they are in Christ... In Christ, you are God's children. You are God's saints. You are the apple of his eye. Oh, that just spurs us on to do good works. In contrast, Mormonism puts sharp pointing things on their spurs. Their spurring on to good works is a very painful process. Listen to what one of their prophets said. This is what one of their prophets, the head of their church, said. It depends upon you whether or not you are forgiven and when. It could be weeks. It could be years. It could be centuries before that happy day when you have the positive assurance that the Lord has forgiven you. What does it depend on? Depends on your humility, your sincerity, your works, your attitudes. It could be centuries before you know where you are forgiven. It all depends on what you do. You know what this is taken from? It's taken from a book, a very classic Mormon book, entitled The Miracle of Forgiveness. You say, where's the miracle there? That is what Mormons are hearing. That is what is being, that's how Mormonism spurs its members on. What a contrast. I like to tell the story. I always call the story Little Orphan Andy. Little Orphan Andy was in this orphanage. He really wanted to be part of the family. That was his biggest wish. He prayed every night, Lord, give me part. Let me be part of a family. Give me parents. The first couple comes in. They say, Little Orphan Andy, I think we want to adopt you. But before we do, let's take you home for a month and try you out. So they take him home. How do you think little orphan Andy acted that month? I think he probably was trying to be on his best behavior. He wanted to be part of that family, right? But what would he do every night? What would be going through his mind every night? Am I good enough? Did I do enough? Think of the anxiety. The fear of being rejected. Now think of the second couple coming in. Here's little orphan Andy and the second couple come in. They say, Andy, we have adopted you. We signed your paper. You are our son. He goes to live with them. I don't think he would become a holy terror in their house. Out of gratitude, out of joy, he probably would be even better because he would no longer be having that fear of being rejected. He could just let his wonderful personality shine. He would try everything he could to please these people. That, my friends, is a difference in motivation. We are motivated not by the fear of being rejected. 
but by the joy of being accepted. We need to encourage each other that way. We need to spur ourselves on. We need to spur each other on by holding up what God has done for us, the wonderful things God has done for us. And we need to do that proactively. There's that word again. Exercise proactively. You know, our passage says, you know, consider each other, how we can spur each other on. Consider, take some time. Again, I don't know about you, but many times when the Lord gives me opportunity to encourage a fellow Christian, I often see that in my rearview mirror. I often see it after the fact. I said, you know what? I should have said something there. I never thought ahead. Exercising proactively is, again, getting to know each other, getting to know each other and each other's gifts and talents and abilities, and then encouraging that, encouraging each other to serve the Lord with your own gifts. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's all I need. All I need to do something is a little encouragement. I think you are gifted to do that. That's all you need sometimes. That's what other people need. But a lot of times we won't do that unless we think about it. We pray about it. We come to church with a mindset, today, who am I going to encourage? And I'm going to pick out this person, and I'm going to be really conscious of all the people across my path, and I'm going to have my eyes open, my ears open, so that I can serve them by encouraging them to do those good works, encouraging them to love. What a wonderful health club that is, where people are exercising together, not doing it in their homes where it's hard to do it, but you exercise together, you can encourage each other. We can eat nutritious meals together. Hopefully you can see why I like the picture of the church as a health club. Friends, eat well here. Eat proactively here at Crosswalks. Exercise proactively have a wonderful life in Christ at crosswalks. So what's your next steps? Actually, I forgot to tell Pastor Gung when I emailed him. He was supposed to fill in some of these blanks. So, First of all, eat nutritiously. Since I don't know too much about the structure at crosswalks, I know you got a lot of growth groups. You know, this week, if you're not in a growth group or somehow, you know, plan on how you can eat nutritiously with somebody else, formally or informally. Consider one another. I would encourage you to think of specific people. Maybe it's one of the leaders of the kids' church, and your kids are there, they just need that word of encouragement. I think sometimes the people who um, take care of the kids are the least complimented or 
we can need to encourage them. It could be anybody. Encourage your fellow members and so forth. And I would really just encourage you to just think about, memorize our verse today, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Please think about that, especially this idea of spurring each other on, the blessing of being together with each other. What a blessing that is. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the gift you have given us of each other. Lord, we thank you for giving us a community of believers where we can be true to you, to ourselves, where we can open up, where we can share, where we can help each other and encourage each other. Oh, Lord, help us all the time to see the benefit of that. Help us to make the full use of that. And this morning, oh, Lord, we also ask that you be with those caught in Mormonism. Oh, Lord, send Christians into their lives who will tell them the wonderful news of free and complete forgiveness. Send us into their lives. Let Mormons cross our path so that we can witness to them, O Lord. O Lord, have mercy on them. Bring many more of them into your kingdom through your word. O Lord, hear this our prayer. To you be all praise, glory, and honor. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.